So, <clears throat> the best part of doing a podcast is doing research outside on a beautiful 70 degree day in February. That's when I wrote the script. But shit, I guess that's actually not so cool. Pun intended. But the Buddhist in me says, enjoy the first hints of a way too early spring, and this isn't another climate change episode. Just FYI. So, welcome to Red Leg Revolution, a show about community, how we build it, the issues that affect it, and how we make it better today. I'm Comrade Dubs, and today we're talking about leftism. And we're talking about leftism with my buddy Joe, who is probably, of all my friends, one of the most qualified to talk about this, because he actually reads theory. So, what's up, Joe? How's life? Good. You're far too kind. Ah, well, I don't know if you can ever be too kind. I think Buddha would, would believe you can never be too kind. So Buddha? Never heard of her. <laughs> well played. Well played. So, uh, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is, you know, stuff that feel free to jump in and correct me or, you know, expound on things because it's going to be kind of wide ranging, but all within the scope of what the hell is leftism. In fact, mm -hmm. I, I don't like the title that I gave this script. So I was going to pick one out of the, uh, out of what we're saying. And I think what the hell is leftism may be the, <laughs> maybe the title for this particular episode. Yeah. So well, especially in goddamn 21st century America, sometimes we gotta ask the basic questions like that. Right, and as usual, you know, nobody asked, but you know, I'm I'm a cis white guy, so I kind of just assume somebody wants to hear my opinions. Um, <laughs> to be fair, like I honestly did start this my third podcast because I had a lot of people during the height of the pandemic be like, hey you should do like a teaching or a lecture or something. And it was the height of the pandemic. So I was like, probably not a good idea. And then I was like, wait, I used to do a podcast. Let's do it. Let's do a podcast. And so far, this has been my longest running podcast. We're coming up on two years in August and that's pretty dope. But ding, 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 ding. That's yeah. Awesome. And you, you, you get the award of being the most frequent guest. So, you know, you're like, you're oh, definitely, man. you're part of the team now, you know. Uh, well, it's my birthday tomorrow, so that oh, well. combined with the anniversary and the most frequent guests. Yeah. I, I deserve some kind of drug. Or yeah, right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's your Saturn return or something like that. I don't know. I only date the girls that know what the hell that means. <laughs> All right. So back to leftism, I kind of assume most of my listeners know the things we're going to go over, but part of my mission is to spread knowledge, and this is some pertinent knowledge informing our future communities. Today we're talking about the left political spectrum, the different philosophies of various leftist ideas, some of the early thinkers of those schools of thought, and what some common leftist phrases mean. In retrospect, I should have done this as one of my first episodes so that people knew what the hell I've been talking about for a year and a half, but hindsight is 2020 and all that. And don't worry, we're not going to get too deep into the weeds on all this, just generalized overviews. We're also not going to get too deep into all the different subtypes of, say, anarchism or anarcho-syndicalism or anarcho-capitalism, because we don't have that much time, and I'm not deep enough into theory to go down that road without being called a tanky. So, 
And because anarchists are traitors. No, I'm <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, the what, what we're going to get to is the left needs unity, but this is why we don't <laughs> have it. <laughs> right. So, uh, let's touch briefly again on the political spectrum. We discussed it in the episode about centrism, so today we're just going to focus on the left-leaning side of it. We actually kind of went in depth how there is no left, true, no true left, organized true left in the United States because the goalposts have been shifted so far right. So, at least um, on the national level. Yeah, yeah, exactly on the national level. Um, so yeah, you got anything you want to add to that, real quick? Um. No, just just what I just said that like okay. um, I think that phrase gets reiter- reiterated a lot. Like, mm-hmm. there's no leftist politics in the U.S. And to an extent, it's true in that like there's no leftist organization will- that's capable of putting extreme pressure on our electoral system. Mm-hmm. But like, if you look at some of the power of some unions and like local organizations, there's definitely leftism here. Yes, so I'm happy. To- I'm excited to get into it. And that's that. That's a very valid point, a very good one, given the fact that I know the activism that I've done, and I've met people that that activism has directly impacted, and it wasn't necessarily going and lobbying for a law. It was, hey, I know this homie needs an organization, or, you know, like a donation from an organization, you know, let me help him out or whatever, so... So, yeah, there is an organized left, but, yeah, not at the national level. And the reason why is because anytime a local level one starts to get there, the FBI says, we're just going to assassinate and drive your leaders crazy. So, oh, damn, I got yeah. ahead of the script yeah, yeah, again. <laughs> so, <clears throat> all right. So, let's see, where was I? Many people lump the left into a generalized political philosophy, but while we all agree that capitalism is bad, we come to different conclusions as to what's best for the future. Further, the concept of a political spectrum has been improved upon by the addition of another axis that denotes between authoritarianism and complete anarchism. This is an important addition as leftist regimes can be authoritarian such as Stalin's Russia. So you kind of well, went... I'm going to challenge you on that later. Oh, <laughs> uh, tanky. Um, well, <laughs> you actually brought this up in the centrism episode, and that was why it made it back into the script, because that is an important, you know, to consider that besides just the left and right spectrum, particularly when we're talking leftism and, you know, strong central government versus strong decentralized organizations, yeah. you know. So, uh, yeah. So just right of the established center in the United States, but not too far off, are liberals. I'm not going to talk about uh, too much about them, as I've spent most of my run talking about how liberals suck. They aren't even yeah. really the left, as they believe in free market capitalism, which makes them centrist at best, which I think we've properly illustrated in the centrism episode. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and feel free to correct me on any of these because I just kind of like, you know, very quickly threw this together. So further left than liberals are your democratic socialists from Business Insider, which I picked from a source. So it's written from a center-right point titled, Here's the Difference Between a Socialist and a Democratic Socialist by John Haltwinger, February 11th, 2020. Quote, Socialism can be defined as a, as a system of social organization in which private property and the distribution of income are subject to social control. 
In other words, it's a state-controlled economy in which the state controls the means of production, factories, offices, resources, and firms. There are also forms of socialism in which the means of production are controlled and owned by workers. End quote. So, <clears throat> socialism as a whole, and that encompasses much of the political thought between democratic socialists and full-on communists, not including those dirty commies. The article goes mm -hmm. on. Quote, in general, socialists believe the government should provide a range of basic services to the public, such as health care and education, for free or at a significant discount. In the present day, democratic socialists and socialists are often treated as interchangeable terms, which can be confusing given democratic socialists don't necessarily think that the government should immediately take control of all aspects of the economy. They do, however, generally believe the government should help provide for people's most basic needs and help all people have an equal chance at achieving success. End quote. So I think that dem dem demsocks are like a good transitional, not a good transitional government, but the act, the actual act of like being a self-identifying democratic socialist is like very common in a, in the United States today. And yeah. that's, they're like starter socialists, right? Yes. Like first start reading and you hear about Bernie and you do this. And yes. Like, oh, I'm a democratic socialist. And then you experience life and see how politics is and then Dem you graduate. Democratic socialists are the gateway drug to leftist theory. <laughs> exactly. I mean, here we, I'm just waiting for the Reagan to come out. Right. Um, we're actually going to talk a bit about the DSA. Um, so democratic socialists are committed to change through the democratic process and aren't too big of fans about making waves or radical overhaul of society through means of like revolution or taking over the economy completely. More from Business Insider. Quote, as the DSA website states, at the root of our socialism is a profound commitment to democracy as means and end. As we are unlikely to see an immediate end to capitalism tomorrow, DSA fights for reforms today that will weaken the power of corporations and increase the power of working people. To put it another way, they don't feel socialism should be forced on people, but they are fundamentally anti-capitalist and believe the government should urge private-owned businesses toward granting workers as much control as possible. End quote. So... Yeah, maybe if we vote and be nice, then they'll... Exactly. They'll give it up. Yeah. But no, I, I have met some DSA comrades who, like, I was in DSA for a little bit. Yeah, and, I remember. Uh, I think a lot of them don't identify as democratic socialists, but they're in DSA because it's an, it's a somewhat effective tool to be able to organize. Yeah, and I have no beef. I am not uh, one of those types of divisive anarchist right. whatever that's going to be like oh you know these guys are reactionary and holding up progress because i do see just like in a protest how everybody has their roles we need the yeah. dsa to help give a, a whitewashed coat on leftism for anybody who's even slightly interested yeah so or for yeah, young people, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, they hear yeah. about again Bernie or AOC or you know. Uh, yeah, they read a lot of the right books. Yeah. So, so and that's getting the are, foot in the door. Uh, yeah. The DSA are our Mormon missionaries for leftism. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Exactly. I was never a member of DSA, but do they have special God blessed underwear too? 
Um, yeah, all of them. It's required. <laughs> Naturally. Can't go to an event without your bulletproof underwear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So further left from the socialism aspect as a broad thing is communism, which believes capitalism is bad and communism is good, but still believes in a state or government to force that economic system. From an article on History.com titled, How Are Socialism and Communism Different? by Sarah Pruitt, updated on November 4th, 2020. Side note, finding resources for this sucks since 90% of Google is anti-commie pages, so yeah. it was... I was glad to find a history go article. Read shit from like 1912. Exactly. And I don't have a PDF reader that's easy to flip over these old typefaces from, you know, shitty dime store uh, pulp. So, all right. Dude, that's where I go. <laughs> right. Um, dude, I just got Red Dead Redemption. You think I got time for reading? Can't <laughs> <laughs> right. on that. Right. All right. Uh, so, back to that article. Uh, how are socialism and communism different? Quote, Both socialism and communism are essentially economic philosophies advocating public rather than private ownership, especially of the means of production, distribution, and exchange of goods, i.e. making money, in a society. Both aim to fix the problems they see as created by free market capitalist systems, including the exploitation of workers and a widening gulf between rich and poor. In the first half of the 19th century, early socialist thinkers like Henri de Saint-Simon, Robert Owen, and Charles Fourier, Fourier? I don't know. I don't speak, I don't speak surrender monkey, which isn't, isn't fair because, I mean, the French have fought. Anyway, we're not going to get into French Ironically, history. that's where a lot of leftism comes from, too. Exactly. Government. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I recant my surrender monkey line. Uh, I will buy you some freedom fries, French listeners. <laughs> so <laughs> Robert Owen and Charles Fourier presented their own models for reorganizing society along those lines of cooperation and community rather than competition inherent in capitalism where the free market controlled the supply and demand of goods. Then came Karl Marx, the German political philosopher and economist who had become one of the most influential socialist thinkers in history. With his collaborator, Frederick Engels, Marx published a Communist Manifesto in 1848, which includes a chapter criticizing those earlier socialist models as utterly unrealistic utopian dreams. Utopian socialism. Yes. Another key difference in socialism versus communism is the means of achieving them. In communism, a violent revolution in which the workers rise up against the middle and upper classes is seen as an inevitable part of achieving a pure communist state. Socialism is less rigid, more flexible ideology. Its adherents seek change and reform, but often insist on making these changes through democratic processes within the existing social and political structure, not overthrowing that structure. End quote. All right. Thoughts on that before we hop to the next one? Uh, no, you nailed it. I think the difference between utopian socialism and Mar which is like an earlier form of socialism and like Marxist scientific materialism is important because to this day we still use historical materialism in our analysis of politics everywhere. Yeah, totally. So, And then I don't know if you're getting a Mao or not. Oh, um, no. No, that that that's getting a little more in depth. Like well, I, I just, I'll add a quick tidbit. Uh, whereas Marx and like Lenin advocate, well, Lenin obviously was a, uh, wrote about the vanguard, right, mm -hmm. the proletariat, which is like an organized professional political party, 
Marx kind of just wrote in general about communism and and believed that it would be the workers, like uh, industrial workers, that would lead the revolution, whereas Mao thought it would be the peasants and farmers. And yes. I just think that's no that that is and i i have a firm believer that it is going to take everybody <laughs> like yeah. and every i think the delineation between you know um capitalist you know workers and non-workers is the only division we need you know if you're yeah. not a worker then you're an enemy and if you're any type of worker I mean, we. I just did a episode about unions with my buddy Pancake, and we uh, talked a bit about that. You know, it's the same reason that solidarity models have more power than business models and unions. It's yeah, it's yeah. going to take everybody. So, mm -hmm. even further left at the extreme, the left extreme is anarchism. The anarchistlibrary dot org has good has a good succinct write up. Uh, and it was just a write-up, so it didn't have a published date. Plus, they're anarchists, so they don't tend to listen to conventions. Um, they don't say anybody, even themselves. Right? <laughs> no gods, no masters, no Oxford commas. <laughs> All right, quote. A leading modern dictionary, Webster's Third International Dictionary, defines anarchism briefly but accurately as a political theory opposed to all forms of government and governmental restraint and advocating voluntary cooperation and free associations of individuals and groups in order to satisfy their needs. And other dictionaries describe anarchisms with similar definitions. Well, shit, I should have just gone to the dictionary to do it then. End quote. <laughs> so... I, I didn't because I can't remember which dictionary I'm currently beefing with, and I think it was Merriam-Webster's. I think I'm a dictionary. You got in the dictionary board. Right. Hey, man. Come at me. Get my DMs, man. I'm cool with the Write librarians, but... Right? <laughs> with lots of interesting words that I will then nice. use in a podcast and not credit you. Fuck you guys. I'm team thesaurus all day over here. Yeah, right? I got no beefs with the th thesauruses. You know, I write poetry, too. Those things come in useful. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we were talking about anarchism, um, how different leftist theory plays into these different political models, and I hope we're starting to see how the economic models shape the political ones. Politics is just economics dressed up. Always has been, always will be. Speaking of economics being dressed up, uh, we are at 21 minutes. So, you know what time it is? Time to watch the number 21, or was it 23? Fuck, I always forget. That dumbass Jim Carrey movie. What time is it, Carly? <laughs> <laughs> it's time to plug some of my favorite local companies. But before that, what are you plugging this week? Uh, I am plugging... My, I got a new job. I actually work at the Children's Division now. Hell yeah! State of Missouri. So Congratulations. Interesting. I'm not plugging them. Yeah. But I am using the knowledge I'm gaining from that, and my with my work in Casey Tenants, we are creating a child care program. Hell and, yeah. Um, I am just asking if any of your listeners might have some good resources on liberatory child care. Okay. Well. Anybody hear? Anybody hear that? You know, you never give a contact point though. Oh, I guess you got Casey Tenants now. So, uh, well, like... I mean, if anybody wants to reach out to my email, they can do that. Okay. And cool. maybe you can drop it in the description or something. Yeah, 
Oh, I mean, if you're cool with that, I'll totally, I'll go with it. Yeah. I am. I need, I need help with this. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel you, bro. I mean, I don't have a a huge listenership, but I do have some. I don't know if my buddies in Germany will be able to help you at all, but. um, I took German for four years. I can still read a little bit. All right. Well, you're better off than me. Speaking of German, I'm going to plug Frederick Ingalls because without him financially supporting <laughs> Marx, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Speaking hell, of. Hell yeah. Shout out to Ingalls. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Um, check out these local businesses and organizations that I am totally 100%. I fucks with them, yo. So. Yeah, here's some ads. We'll be right back. Hey, y'all. Capitalism sucks, but Benavie Farms and Nursery is part of my community. Benavie Farms and Nursery is Kansas City's local sustainable nursery whose main focus is saving our little buzzing comrades, the bees. Bees are a primary pollinator for the world's food supply, and their species are declining at a rapid pace due to destruction of their native habitats. Benavie Farms and Nursery realize the importance of not only growing your own food, but also saving the bees. At Benavie Farms, they specialize in perennials, pollinators, and produce, so you can support a community initiative, plant a garden, and save the bees all at the same time. We talk a lot about food security on my show, and the first step is growing your own food for yourself and your community, and you can do that while saving our pollinators. The staff at Benavie Farms are knowledgeable, friendly, helpful, and inclusive, and can't wait to help you start or expand your garden this spring. To learn more about a sustainable no-till urban farm, go to benaviefarms.com or find Benavie Farms on Facebook. I just got my hours cut again? How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity Man. That's right, fellow workers. It is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class, and it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation, but together you can move mountains, and the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career, and we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! Deep in the swamps of Florida. Honey, is that a new plant? He dwells, waiting. Where did those seeds come from, honey? Silently. Oh my god, what is that thing? Sending seeds and stickers across the country. Ah! And spreading solidarity. Have you lost your mind, honey? We can't move to a sustainable commune in upstate New York. What's wrong with you lately? There's no stopping him. The mighty skunk ape is on Facebook and he's on a mission. Anarchy! No! Coming to a post office box near you, the Skunk Ape Liberation Union.
And we're back for take two, because apparently I did not hit the record button when we came back from commercials. Luckily, we were only like literally three paragraphs in, but you missed an awesome rant by Joe, so maybe I can poke him a couple times and see if we can get that back up. So, (laughs) all right. So I consider myself a theoretical communist, but a practical anarchist. I don't think that humans are evolved enough for any economic model to work without being horribly corrupted by those who seek dominion over others. That dominion may be economical or political, but there will always be assholes who want more than their share. Until we collectively evolve our thinking as a species, it's, that's going to always happen. So in the meantime, I work under the anarchy umbrella. So, Joe. How would you describe your political beliefs? Yeah. <clears throat> now that you've had, you know, a good five minutes and a practice run. <laughs> yeah, take two, right? Uh, like I was saying, like, um, it took a long time for me to, I, I've spent so much time reading theory in the past to, and, like, get my history degree and doing jobs that where I wasn't really putting my values into practice, especially Marxist values. Um I've come from like DSA kind of build to like uh, Trotskyist, and now I guess I identify mostly with like Marxist Leninism or Marxism. But um, I'll say that I've come to appreciate a lot more of the power of like local organizing mm-hmm. and how applying just basic Marxist, Marxist principles, not getting too caught up in like the specificity, you know, or the infighting but like being able to put that into practice has been extremely rewarding on a community level mm-hmm. and like the aims of getting social housing and the bare essentials i think is comes first before any kind of you know before we can have those conversations at least in my mind about you know which which way forward is the best yeah so we got to win those basic things first yeah, I agree completely. It's the same reason that <clears throat> when we're talking strikes, like, and when I was with the IWW and I do my personal advocacy, nice. damn, should I leave that in there? I think yeah, I do. I, I think nice. I need to leave it and save it as a sound clip. I can start bleeping, <laughs> <laughs> bleeping bad words. Anyway, so same thing, you know, with strikes is whenever I'm trying to help people you know, or help people that are striking, I'm always like, you know, we need to be donating to the strike fund, we need to be donating food, water, time, because that's what allows them to strike, is the knowledge that their basic needs are going to be met, no matter what risk they put themselves at, and that's kind of extrapolated to the greater world, people are more would have more time to study theory or get involved in organizing their community, if we were already able to meet some of their basic needs and ease the burden on their time and their existence. So, yeah. Uh, something I've really noticed with like working with KC tenants as opposed to like other orgs I've worked with in the past is, and I guess this aligns more with my Marxist Leninism values, but we have people who this is their job full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when you have those kind of like resources and like the time to put your labor into something where you're actually politically organizing mm-hmm. rather than you know a volunteer led org not to say that that's a bad thing but let's yeah just be real like organizing is a full-time job very much so get, 
yeah i think that that even necessitates more like a communal approach because i mean if you're starting an organization like it's going to take time to get to the point where you can like have people doing that as a job you need to rely on your community to mm-hmm. to support you in that yeah and i don't know it's just i've worked with a lot of different organizations and i like Casey tents because they're very material and policy driven and mm. it's just it doesn't feel like i'm sitting around in a goddamn reading group yes or sitting around out. going my big problem with being in particularly leftist groups is like i'm a big fan of consensus i am a big fan of working through things you know so that everybody yeah. gets a say I am not a big fan of the fact that it's impossible to expedite anything and when you have important things because everybody knows it's important, it's just like the national government. It gets kicked around in committee and kicked around in committee and I'm like, yo, no, we need to deal with this now. So, you know, orgs have issues, but we could improve them if our basic needs were met and we could get more involved in these organizations yeah. so but casey yeah, I mean, tenants is I dope i think like material driven orgs like talking about casey tenants yes. like is, is about rent and housing right mm-hmm. like when you have specific organizations for specific needs yes you're there's less room for that kind of shit yeah it's like here's the issue we're trying to address and here's how we're going to address it yeah which I will jump on that segue into the, back into the script. So we talk about dual power a lot on this show, and that's building our own structures within the state, and that's kind of what we're describing right now. Um, and the reason I believe that that's important is because I don't believe in really working within the state, like with the state, as I believe firmly that the state is both inept and duplicitous in its goals. The pandemic is a great example of both. We didn't stop the spread, we didn't have anything close to an effective shutdown, and we left our most vulnerable out to die, all in the service of the economy. Simultaneously, the Democrats particularly claimed that they were listening to scientists, even as they sent people back to work prematurely. I don't see the state as able to actually do what it's supposed to do in its current form. So... Let's build alternative means. I will say, I think I said this earlier, like, I work for the state in the (laughs) children's division. And from what I can tell, like, you have workers who work for the state, right? Like, I mean, let's just rule out police officers right away. Yeah, yeah. But um, you have social workers, you have people who work in the Oh, yeah, fuck yeah, the road worker who fucking is out there plowing I-70 and fucking two in the morning on early February, like... Yes, yeah. there are a the lot best of real you can workers. get out of the state is like having people who can provide resources for you or do basic utilities and stuff. But as far as like the allocation of money and things mm-hmm. like that, it's always going to be underfunded to things that need it and overfunded to things that don't need it that oppress. Yeah, and it's important for people who do work for the state or whoever to call that out. But also realize that, hey, this situation is not going to be just solved through this. There needs right. to be an alternative method. Yeah, this isn't tenable by itself. So at the same time that I believe that the state is mostly inept, I believe that tearing down or tearing it down with a violent revolution would be counterproductive as the cost in human lives, infrastructure, and risk warlords rising 
not worth it. Sometimes the means doesn't justify the ends. Plus, I remember learning in my political science class fucking 10 years ago or something that a peaceful revolution succeeds at a way larger and like sticks at a way larger percentage than a violent revolution because when you have violent revolutions, you have splintering, which means then there's another revolution and then power vacuums and another revolution. I mean, how how many revolutions did Russia have? <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference between like violence and, and tension, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. violent revolutions, from what I get, and you know, many Marxist thinkers have wrote on this that like it's things aren't going to change until it gets to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a depressing way to look at it, but in some ways, it's true because that's when the material conditions call for it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be the only way, I don't think. You know, yeah. the context is different everywhere. There's yeah. multiple ways to do things. Well, and I just, I need to also throw this in here. Hey, uh, Frank, my FBI agent, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode. And just keep listening, because I'm not advocating a violent revolution. I just want to make sure that is very clear. And in my file, large, bold letters, buddy. Uh, don't. Don't wake me up at 3 a.m. with a no-knock warrant. Hey, Frankie the Tanky. <laughs> right. They might find the killer whale that I'm hiding in the back room. <laughs> Subtle <laughs> Simpsons reference. but All right. So I advocate a dual power model where we build a state within a state that's not really a state. I know. It's complicated. We fill in the gaps where the state is either lacking or actively opposing the needs of the people. To me, this is not only pragmatic, but also the safest way for the community to organize under capitalism. When any type of leftist groups begin to gain major ground with challenging the state, someone usually gets killed under dubious circumstances. The groups are infiltrated, fractured, and rendered ineffective. Leaders are imprisoned or exiled. The effort dies as it's throttled by the state. In order for this to happen... What the hell was I thinking when I wrote this? Did I just, like, not finish this paragraph? All right. So, um, yeah. How old are you? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm not fading out. No. So. (laughs) No, skateboarding, bro. Years and years of skateboarding. Um, I was going to uh, do a plug for a company that I used to plug for, but there have been developments with that company and I have severed my connection with them because the workers were not being treated right. And so in solidarity with the workers, I'm not referring that business anymore. So it really fucked me up though, because that all happened between me writing the script in this moment. So I'm like reading the script and I'm like, Oh, Oh wait, but I can't read that. Exactly. I've canceled them. The you first person that that, or them. group that I've canceled, like, which is sad because it was cool. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I became friends actually with one of the workers who I'm standing with solidarity with um, because I was there and I found a copy of uh, Marx's Capital that was printed in 1908. And I oh, took it up to the register and it was, you know, obviously used. It was $7. So. I got to the counter. That's a Penguin classic. Oh, yeah, totally. I got to the counter and was being rang up by the the clerk who was getting, you know, she rang me up. And I was like, yo, how do you think Marx would feel about me paying for a secondhand copy of his book? 
And the worker laughed and said, probably not good. <laughs> so I knew she was cool. We've been friends for like four or five years now, and I'm looking forward to doing a plug for her and a lot of those same employees are forming a different business and I've already contacted them letting them know that I will gladly make them a commercial as soon as they get set up so um yeah but that really threw off right. my my reading there and especially since it's like well fuck this is something that I I probably shouldn't like comment too much on because it might be legally actionable and I'm not trying to get sued. Yeah. I have no money. They can have the, you know, what? I think it's relevant. Oh, well, yeah, but I think it's also relevant. I haven't talked to the friend of mine who, you know, I basically haven't gotten consent to get the story out there. So that's the, the main reason. I don't think that she would mind, but I also... It's okay. We're cis white dudes. Yeah, exactly. Right? Here's my opinion on something I was totally not involved in. By the way, let me tell you how I feel about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. <laughs> Shout out. It's been a year. <laughs> All right. Um. So let me awesome. double check our time here. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to have to go ahead and call this episode with my little story about the corporation that shall not be named and my awesome comrades that bonded over a used copy of Karl Marx and the hypocrisy of all of it. So we will be back uh, for part two yeah. because we are getting to the point where it's like, yeah, we better just stop now and do a different episode and then, you know... We're going to keep recording, you know, but the listeners wouldn't have known that this was going to be a two-parter until I just told them. So, yeah, well, it's all good. So, yeah, uh, it's the end of the episode. I remember no matter what kind of leftism you practice that you should go practice it actively and with intent because our only hope is each other. Joe, do you have any plugs? Unless you're a Trotsky. Hey, 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 don't, don't, no. Leftist infighting. No leftist infighting. This episode brought to you by the Facebook group, Veterans of Leftist Infighting. <laughs> <laughs> is that a real thing? I'm it's a real group. It. I love it because it's literally like, that. It's it is what it says. And occasionally That's exactly we have... what you need to counteract that is like uh, satire. Or exactly irony. and half the people are serious half the people are extremely satirical <laughs> and it's just like wow this is actually a big reason Wait. that i did this particular episode was because it inspired me to be like oh i need to, <laughs> Hold I need on to... <laughs> why is there there's a veterans of leftist infighting and then there's a veterans of veterans of leftist oh infighting. because well because we're leftists splitters <laughs> which we'll be talking about in part two veterans of veterans of veterans of leftists yes it goes full-on inception because again we're leftists you know we split almost as much as the catholic church that is amazing so yeah uh you got any plugs for the end of the episode and then we will jump right well we'll take a quick break so i can go smoke and then we'll jump back yeah. in just like i said uh if anybody has any resources on liberatory child care um, send them to me because I'm working on that. What's your That's public it. email? And then the elections are coming up. Um, uh, J my email is jdmgf5 at gmail.com. Say then, that one more time. Uh, and then, um, <laughs> AC elections are coming up on the fourth, and there's some good voter guides out there. 
Casey Tennant's put out a voter guide, so check that out. As they've been doing for a few years now. I can't remember yeah. when they started, but I know it was pre-pandemic. It's pretty. Like, it's been helpful for me because I'm really bad at keeping up with elections. And yeah, it just stresses me out. So. Well, when I did the last local election here, I just yeah. used the uh, Lawrence DSA voter guide because, again, I I'm not a fan of violent revolution. Frank, don't don't send them to my door. Don't don't need yeah. don't need agents at our doors. So, all right. Frank, you uh, thank you. Right. All right. So, yeah, we are out. We will be back in part two to talk some more leftism. And I don't know who to, who to curse at the end of this episode. Uh, well, just do a Jordan Peterson impression. Yeah, oh, there we go. You see, the, the, the whole problem with leftism is that you all want somebody else's stuff. Fuck you, Jordan Peterson. <laughs> very good, very good. There we go. That That's a fucking I'm going to do my Hannibal Lecter impression next episode. I've been working on it. Okay, works for me. This has been a production of 419 Media.